Hi, my name is Brian Magner. I work in the tech booth here at King's Cross. You're listening to the podcast from King's Cross Church in Charleston, South Carolina. We are working our way through the entire Bible during 2023 in a sermon series called The Story. For more information about our church or to find resources related to the story, visit kingscross.org. Hey, I don't know if I introduced myself. If I didn't, uh, my name's Chip. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, I loved Christmas Eve growing up. Uh, It was always um, a highlight of the year for me. My mom's side of the family, we all went to church together. And um, it was one of the only days of the year I would see like all my cousins. And my mom had three brothers. All my uncles would be there. And um, one year, I remember there were five generations of my family uh, at church on Christmas Eve. And we would we'd leave church, and just about a 12-minute drive up the road was my granny and papa's house. So we'd have big dinner. Um, my granny would always make homemade yeast rolls. The whole house just smelled like it. it was just great. And afterwards, everybody bought presents for everybody, you know. And so um, it was this great kickoff to Christmas, and you left with a trunk full of presents. It was As a kid, it was just awesome, you know. Um, the, as an adult, uh, I've got a little different perspective on Christmas Eve. Two things have happened that have, uh, you know, not better or worse, just a different perspective. Uh, One is that about 15 years ago, I went into vocational ministry, and so now Christmas Eve is a work day. Um, And that's okay. It's still a great day. We love Christmas Eve. We put a lot of uh, thought and prayer and energy into uh, Christmas Eve as a staff. It's great to see everybody. It's one of the highlights of our year. It's just a different perspective thinking about uh, Christmas Eve from a vocational standpoint. The, the other one is when I was younger, we would go to our parents' house for Christmas, Christmas Day, and now our parents come to our house, uh, which is great. We, we love that. Um, Christmas parents will come over. My mom and stepdad will drive down from Merle's Inlet, and um, it's just a wonderful day watching movies and opening presents and eating. And uh, But, you know, when you're the host, it's a little bit of a different perspective. Again, it's not, you know, it's not better or worse, it's, but when you're thinking about the timing and the food and texting everybody and what's going on, you know, it's a different perspective. Can you relate to that? If you're a grandparent, you know that being a grandparent is a different perspective than being a parent, right? If you own your own business, that's a different perspective than if you are an employee. Uh, if you move to a new city, That's a different perspective that you're going to have on that city than people who have been born and raised there. And I think sometimes that seeing the same thing from a different perspective can enrich your experience of it. It can deepen your understanding of it, even magnify your love for it. And that's what I hope we'll do together over the next few minutes. I'm assuming that very nearly everyone is loosely familiar with the Christmas story that we're used to hearing from Luke 2. You heard Matthew read part of it there earlier. Maybe you've watched Charlie Brown Christmas and you've heard um, it be recited on Peanuts, but, but you're somewhat familiar with the Christmas story that we get there. Stars and wise men, no room at the inn, Jesus wrapped in cloths and lay in a manger, shepherds out in their field, watching over their flocks by night, angels declaring glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men, Mary treasuring up all these things in her heart. Luke has written for us a 
a wonderful historical account. He was a detailed historian. He talked to eyewitnesses and the people who were there. He had traveled with the apostles at one point. Um, He had been inspired by, carried along by the Holy Spirit to ensure that his writing was not only an accurate uh, recording of history, but also was communicating the divine truths that God intended would be handed down for generations to come. And those inspired historical accounts of Jesus' birth that we read about in Luke 2 or that we can read about in Matthew chapters 1 and 2, they're written from an earthly perspective. They tell the story of the incarnation of Jesus, the only Son of God, from the perspective of those who lived here on earth. But in Revelation 12, we get a different perspective. In Revelation 12, we're shown Christmas from a heavenly perspective. If you've been with us during 2023, you know we've been studying together the overarching story of the Bible. We began on Sunday, January 1st in Genesis 1. We're going to end next Sunday, December 31st in Revelation 21 and 22. And throughout our study of the story, we've seen the fullness of the gospel, the good news of God's sovereign plan to redeem and restore all things through Christ. We've seen the gospel in God's creation of all things. We saw it in man's rebellion against God. We saw it in God's gathering of a people to himself that would be his servants and a model nation through whom the Savior of the world would come. We've considered together Jesus' life, ministry, death, resurrection, and ascension. We have considered the mission that he gave to the church, to all those who would ever repent of their sin and follow him. And the end of the year finds us at the end of the Bible in the book of Revelation. It records a a vision that God gave to the Apostle John. And in it, we get insight into what the, the culmination of God's sovereign plan, the ultimate fulfillment of his covenant promises, what that looks like. We're not given the when exactly, but the what and the why. The interesting thing about the book of Revelation, though, is it doesn't only look forward, it also looks back. It sets the future in the context of history. Revelation 12, 1 to 6 is looking back at Christmas. It gives us a different perspective on what was happening the night Mary was in Bethlehem welcoming her firstborn son into the world. Let's look at it together in Revelation 12, verses 1 to 6. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and her, on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. This description of a woman is consistent with the way Israel is referred to in the Old Testament. She represents the whole body of God's people, the fullness of those who are a part of God's people. And we've seen this year how across history God's people have suffered and cried out as they awaited the coming, or in our case on this side of the cross, the second coming of God's Messiah. Verse 3, And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. That's Satan. Both the Old Testament and the New refer to Satan as a snake or as a dragon. And this 
um, Jewish literature uses horns and, and diadems. They're symbolic of power and authority. So this is the, the image that's being given to John. Verse 4, his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. That deals with Satan's rebellion. We're not going to worry about that tonight. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. Again, we've seen this all year in our study of the story. Satan has tried to do everything he possibly can to prevent God's promised Savior from coming into the world. He stirred up Cain to kill Abel, moved Pharaoh to kill Hebrew baby boys in Exodus 1 and 2. He tried to get Saul to kill David, moved the wicked Athaliah to destroy all the royal heirs of the house of Judah in 2 Chronicles. He moved Haman to plot genocide against the Jews and even moved Herod to kill all the baby boys under the age of two in Matthew's gospel after Jesus was born. But every single time, he fails. Every time God preserves a faithful remnant of his people, every time God's promises stand against the wicked schemes of the world, the flesh, and the devil, every time he fails to prevent God's promised one from being born. Verse 5, she gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. That's Jesus. That's Christmas. The one born to rule the nations with a rod of iron is a direct uh, quotation of Psalm chapter 2 that speaks of the Messiah. Keep going. The second half of verse 5. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. That's Jesus' ascension. Back into heaven. We studied it a few months ago when we were in Acts chapter 1. For 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus walked around and was talking and teaching. And then he ascended bodily back into heaven. Verse 6. And the woman, that's the people of God, fled into the wilderness, which um, biblically the wilderness is a place of testing, but also of provision and protection, where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. And don't worry about the symbolism of the days for now. The point is that after Jesus' ascension, God had a plan for his people to provide for them and to protect them. And so in six short verses, you get a different perspective, a sweeping heavenly perspective that places the birth of Jesus at the very heart of, as the hinge moment in, as a paradigm shifting movement in a larger cosmic story, in a larger cosmic battle. And all of Jesus' life and ministry are summarized in verse 5. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. It's almost as if the 33 and a half years of Jesus' earthly ministry are just one scene in one act in a larger divine play. Because in many ways, they were. His birth was inexorably linked to his perfect life to his validating ministry, to his substitutionary death. We're told again and again that well, he was crucified, not for his own sins, but for ours, for, for mine and for yours, in our place as our substitute. His birth is, is linked to his victorious resurrection, his glorious ascension, his promised return. Christmas 
was not a standalone event. It's one event in a larger story. And so I think often for us, Christmas evokes, and rightly so, thoughts of peace, of goodwill, of carols and candlelight. We sing, as we will here together in just a few minutes, silent night, holy night. All is calm. All is bright. Round yon virgin mother and child, holy infant, so tender and mild, sleep in heavenly peace. And perhaps from an earthly perspective, maybe it was a silent night. Or from a heavenly perspective, from a different perspective, it was a violent night. There was not peace in the heavenly realms that night. God the Son had laid aside his divine attributes and emptied himself, taken the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Satan, who Revelation 12, 9, calls that ancient serpent who is the devil, the deceiver of the whole world. He raged this singular event that all through human history he had been trying to stop from happening. The birth of God's promised Messiah had happened. The war had entered a different phase. Those angels that Luke says are a multitude of the heavenly host, he calls them. They were um, praising God and announcing the birth of Christ to the shepherds. That heavenly host, that's Old Testament language that describes the heavenly warrior armies of God. Silent night, holy night, from an earthly perspective. But in the spiritual realm, this was a violent night, holy night. And here's the thing. I think we need that different perspective. I think it's helpful. I think it enriches and deepens our understanding of Christmas. As I don't know about you, but sometimes I, I sing and I read and I think about the promises of Christmas. And they seem unfulfilled. Like we sing of peace on earth or of the Prince of Peace, but um, when I looked up this week, there are more than a hundred officially recognized armed conflicts in the world right now. We sang earlier in this service, truly he taught us to love one another, and yet my heart sometimes is heavy when I look around. It feels to me like the culture is so divided, especially online. Like People are just nasty to each other when anonymity kicks in and they don't have to have their filter up. Or we think about the words to one of my favorite Christmas hymns. We'll sing it again uh, here in just a few minutes. Joy to the world. And we sing joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. But our best estimates are that there are 3.4 billion people in the world to whom the gospel has not even yet been taught, much less them having come to a place of repentance and faith where they've submitted to Jesus as king. We sing joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. And yet in our own city last week, we saw flash floods cause property damage and even take at least one life that we know of. In the United States alone, about 500 people die every year from natural disasters. That doesn't sound to me like the creation praising and resounding in joy 
over its creator. We sing, no more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. But sometimes it feels like sin and sorrow abound, doesn't it? So what do we do? What do we do when the songs we sing and the cards we send and the words we put up around the house, what do we do when the promises that we associate with Christmas, if we're honest, seem like maybe they don't line up with our experience? They don't line up with our reality. I think we have to remind ourselves, we have to remind one another that Christmas, Jesus' first coming, was a fulfillment of many of God's promises, but not all of them yet. We have to remind ourselves of a different perspective on Christmas, a perspective that shows us that some of God's promises will only be fulfilled in Jesus' second coming. And so, yes, absolutely, at Christmas, we want to look back and marvel and wonder and awe at the incarnation of the only Son of God. It's the fulfillment of so many of God's promises. He had promised that a descendant of Abraham would bless the whole world, that a ruler would come from the tribe of Judah, that a forever king would come from David's line, that he would be born of a virgin, a Nazarene from Bethlehem. If you add in what we know about Jesus' life and teaching, his death, resurrection, and ascension, there are more than 300 Old Testament prophecies directly fulfilled in the life and ministry of the baby that those shepherds rejoice to find. At that baby that the wise men were traveling to worship. But at Christmas, we also should look forward as we eagerly await the second coming of Christ when all the promises of God will be fulfilled. Because there are promises that one day thorns will no longer infest the ground and one day there will be no more sorrow and no more sin. God has promised that one day the nations will be Jesus' heritage and they will become his possession. He's promised that one day every knee will bow In heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That creation will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That the lion will lie down with the lamb. That swords will be beaten into plowshares. There will be no more armed conflict. That justice will roll down like the waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as waters cover the sea, that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death will be no more, neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain, for the former things will have passed away and all things will be made new again. And once again, the dwelling place of God will be with man. Those promises, as surely as Jesus was born, Those promises will be fulfilled when he returns. That day is coming. From our perspective, we've been waiting on the fulfillment of those promises for a long time, for 2,000 years. But from a heavenly perspective, it's less than half of one sentence. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God 
and to his throne. So as I thought about tonight, this week, my prayer, my hope for you has been that maybe you would be able to slow down and see Christmas from a different perspective. Maybe to see the people around you and the events around you from a different perspective this year. Maybe take time to text that friend that it's just been too long since you talked to. Tell them you miss them, that you hope they have a Merry Christmas. Maybe linger a little longer with family. Instead of rushing off, that to-do list will be there waiting for you when you get back. Maybe just take a nap. Kiss your spouse. Watch a movie that makes you laugh. Be present. Or be a person of peace who looks at the blessings around them that God has given us right now today and sees them from a different perspective, a grateful perspective. I pray that you will look back and remember that God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him might not perish but would have eternal life. But I also pray that you look forward, forward to the promises of God yet to come, that God's faithfulness in the past would encourage you and assure you of his faithfulness in the future. I pray that in celebrating Jesus' first coming, it would make your heart long even more for his second coming. It came once, clothed in meekness, humbly, as a baby in a manger. Next time, he'll come clothed in glory as a conquering king of kings and lord of lords. On that day, the whole world will have a different perspective. Let's pray. Father, we have gathered to celebrate the incarnation of your only son. single greatest act of your self-revelation to us. Light coming into the world, breaking into our darkness to rescue us. We're thankful for it. Would you help us to, to see the world around us, to see the people around us with spiritual eyes, to have a different perspective than people who don't know you? Would you help us to share the joy that we have at Christmas with people who may be close to us but far from you, that perhaps they might get a different perspective on Christmas than they've had before. Maybe they've just seen it as tradition or, or a time of kindness, but they would see it for what it is. The incarnation of the Holy One. Would you help our hearts to look back and rejoice, but to look forward with eager longing to Christ's second coming. It's in his name we pray. Amen. My name's Chip. I'm the lead pastor here at King's Cross Church. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope that you're growing in the gospel as we work our way through the story. Take a moment to subscribe and you'll get each week's episode automatically. May the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.